Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. So several years ago when Jessica and I first got married, we were searching for a church we could attend as a couple. You know, most, I mean, a lot of married couples end up doing that, trying to find a church to go together. We were invited to check out a church that one of her friends attended, said, hey, y'all should come out. Just want to make a side note, personal invitations do work, folks. You should try it out. But look, so we went to this church, and it wasn't church either of us were familiar with, but we said, hey, we'll go, we'll check it out, because it was what we could, how do I say this? It could be labeled a charismatic church, okay? Neither one of us had really experienced that. Jessica didn't grow up in the church, and I grew up in very boring churches. I'm just going to be honest. That's what my experience was. And so that's what we did. And so we went here. It was a new, and, and you may not know this. Maybe you've been at this church for a long time. But anytime you go to a new church or a new worship experience, it's intimidating. It's uncomfortable. You think everybody's weird. And you're generally right, right? Church people, it can be very weird. But you don't know where to go. You don't know where to park. You don't know, you know, you just don't want to look awkward. You don't want to look like the new person, but you are, right? So we're dealing with all of that. So we go to this new environment, we get in the worship, and and then it just starts. And I don't know how to explain it other than it was was very expressive, right? Very different than what I was accustomed to. I mean, they were praising the Lord, like for real. In fact, they were praising so much, people started getting up and and dancing in the aisles. It made me really uncomfortable because my wife likes to dance. I thought she was going to grab my hand and be like, all right, let's go. And I was like, that's that's not what we're supposed to do. I don't don't understand this. But they they were dancing. She didn't do that, by the way, so I felt better. But look, they were dancing. They were were praising the Lord. I was like, okay, that's what's going on. And the one thing I really remember is when the person came up front it was like doing the ballerina twirls all the way around. And I was like, I've just never seen this before. Like I've never experienced this before. We had all of that going on. And then the lady behind us started speaking in something. I think she would call it tongues, right? Like she would speak in tongues or the special language. I didn't understand, but I'll be honest, it started scaring me. Because all of a sudden, we're up here doing this. I got all these people going around dancing, things like that. Then someone else starts speaking this other language behind me. I just kind of turn around and look. And it was just so much going on. I just did not understand it. But in between their songs, a guy would come up, say some words. They'd start singing. And then it just, this whole service was different, right? That's what I'm trying to explain. And then after about an hour, we sat down and the guy came up again. I was like, oh. That must have been how they preach around here. The guy comes up in between songs, says a comfortable words, and now he's going to dismiss us. Nope. (laughs) They were just getting started. Two and a half hours later, we were walking out the bill, and I looked at Jessica. I said, nope. That's never happening again. So listen, for me, as a Christian... Okay, someone who was been around the church, loved the Lord. I was going through school. I was so uncomfortable in that environment. I mean, my senses were going 
crazy. There was so much going on. I couldn't focus on what I was supposed to be focusing on, whatever that may be. And listen, if it wasn't for that experience, I would completely have no idea what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This section would not make sense to me. I wouldn't understand what the purpose, what the motivation, like anything else behind it. It'd just be like, Paul, what is this? Because I'm going to be honest, out of everything we've gone through in, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, this is the chapter that I have not wanted to preach on. Because it's so much detail, so many explosive topics, so many different things going on, it's hard to kind of get into all of it. But here's the deal. Let's just pull back. If you've ever had a chaotic worship experience or been uncomfortable at worship, it just seemed like so much was going on, just understand like this is what Paul is dealing with. He's bringing order. He's trying to bring order to a chaotic worship environment. You see, remember, Paul is continuing his teachings. We've been in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, excuse me, 1 Corinthians for a long time now, but the past couple of weeks we've seen him talk about proper Christian worship. And now specifically in 14, he's going to start talking about speaking in worship. And his concern is the same concern he's had over uh, for the last couple of weeks. He wants things to be done in a way where it's not about you and it's not about me, right? It's not about this personal glorification in our experiences, our worship experiences, but it's about bringing praise and honor to God and building each other up as the body. And so this section is continuing that, talking about spiritual gifts, Remember, we learned a couple weeks ago that each one of us have a spiritual gift given to us by God, and our spiritual gift is to be used to promote ourselves, right? Right, no, it's to help others, right? The only way you're using your spiritual gift is if you're helping other people. It's not about you, it's about others. So that's what we do with our spiritual gifts. And he says we all have a part to play, and the motive behind everything we do within the church and our spiritual gifts has to be what? Think color red. What should it be? Love, right? I should have saved that sermon for this week, Valentine's Day. I missed it. We'll continue, right? So he said the motives must be all about love. Like if you're going to serve, if you're going to help other people, if you're going to teach, your motive has to be out of love. And so here he's now getting pretty specific. He's diving into some details. You're just going to have to hang on. We're going to look at like paragraph at a time this morning because it seems like, and again, this is where it gets complicated, okay? I'm just going to be honest. It gets pretty complicated for the teacher because we don't know exactly what was going on. This is one of those times where like, here's my best guess. And a lot of the things he's talking about, we don't exactly know, but we're going to give it our best shot this morning. Y'all okay with that? You better be, that's what we're doing anyways, okay? Just might as well embrace, that's where we're going, okay? So they have a disrupted service in what he's going to talk about and what seems to be the case, okay? From the best of everybody's guess. What seems to be the case is they are elevating the gift of speaking in tongues over all the other spiritual gifts, right? And so let's just get on the same page about this when we talk about speaking in tongues. Now look, listen. If it's your first time at church, or you haven't been to church for a long time, you're like, what in the world are we about to talk about? Listen, just hang on, okay? Just hang on. This is one of those things. We've gone through this book this far. We're going to continue going on, but maybe come back next. 
In two weeks, I won't talk about controversial stuff, okay? In two weeks, come back. But just hang in there, okay? Because this is where we're at in this book, and so we're going to deal with this interesting topic. So let's get on the same page and talk about first, before we get into it, what is speaking in tongues? You're like, Brian, we're Baptist church. What are we doing? I know. Here we go. In Acts chapter 2, we see, okay, Acts chapter 2, Acts is all about after Jesus died, Jesus was rose from the grave, Jesus went up to heaven, he ascended to heaven, then we told, he told all the disciples to go into the upper room and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them, and then in Acts chapter 2, we see that happening, Right, we see the Holy Spirit come in this upper room, and everybody was filled with God's Spirit, and it says they started speaking in unknown languages. And there was all this commotion because it was very loud. Evidently, they're in the middle of the city. It was a very busy time in the city. And so people started gathering around going, what is going on in that building? It's loud. Crazy things are going on. And then people gather around, and evidently, all the different disciples are speaking in languages they didn't grow up with languages they weren't taught with, okay, but languages that the outsiders, that the guests of the city who came to travel knew. So they're like, hey, he's speaking in my mother tongue. He's not from where I'm from. He didn't grow up where I grew up. How does he know my language? Like, what is going on? Okay, so this was what we know about speaking in tongues in this, in this specific instant was um, a sign that the Lord was doing something, that something supernatural was happening. And so we know from the book of Acts that this kind of thing happened. We know at least happened three times it speaks about this phenomenon of people speaking in this unknown language, other people being able to understand it, and it's like this supernatural proof that God is moving. So when we're talking about speaking in tongues, it's at least a sign gift pointing to something supernatural happening. But also we'll see Paul talk in this section, we'll get through it, we'll see Paul talking about it being some type of language to strengthen the whole church if an interpreter is available to edify, build up the church, or the person has this like prayer language type of thing to directly communicate with God. So what we know about speaking in tongues from a biblical point of view is that it's at least another language where it's at least somewhat of a language for people to understand, but some people say it's also a special language in relating to God that can edify all, everybody around if there's an interpreter. Now, there are countless debates I'm sure you do not want to get into about what it all means and exactly how it all works. But what we have is you have some groups of people saying this is what it is, and other groups of people saying you're wrong and your experience is wrong, this is what it is. And then they're like, no, you're wrong, because this is what I experienced, and people, you know, you get it, back and forth, all around. And this is why you pay me the big bucks around here, okay? <laughs> to explain all this out in great detail. So you say, Brian, how does all this work? Here's my very educated answer. I don't know. There it is. I don't know. I don't have the gift. I know some pastors that I trust pretty good, right? Pretty good. I trust that say they do have this um, gift of speaking in tongues. I don't know how it works because I am very confident. I mean, I am very confident that God has this stuff figured out. But here's what I do know about this. 
I know the gift of speaking in tongues has been very abused. Okay, it's been very abused. I know some even argue that you're not saved unless you speak in tongues, and that's not true. That is not from the Bible. That is not from it at all. That's just something someone has come up with. I know some also say, right, a lot of theological camps that I read, people I know, they say, well, listen, the gift of tongue is ceased. It's gone. And they're speculating because the Bible doesn't say that at all. Oh, and this is what our authority is. This is what we use. And when it's silent on something, we just own it and just say, hey, we don't know. And it's, it's okay. You see, I am very open to the spiritual gifts because I believe God can do whatever he wants. I firmly believe that. I do not believe that the sign gifts, as some call them, I do not believe the sign gifts have ceased. So that means I do believe in the gift of healing. I do believe in the gift of tongues. I do believe in miracles. Like I still believe in those things. I am not claiming, however, to know how it all works. I am not claiming that at all. But here's what I can tell you. The moment you find a preacher who can explain to you exactly how God works is the moment you need to find another preacher. Just letting you know, that's how that works. Because some things are just left up to God. And we gotta be okay with that. But what he does tell us we can count on, what he does tell us we can land on and we can believe and we can hold true and things we don't know, we just don't know. But what I can tell you is Paul lays out 40 verses we're gonna go through this morning. 40 verses working through all of this, talking about it. And I don't know why a text inspired by the Holy Spirit about this stuff would be in here if he was just going to cancel it in a couple of years anyways. So let's just work through it, stay faithful to his word. And evidently, as I said, they were having problems, right, to bring it all back. They were having problems elevating some gifts over the other gifts, saying, hey, I'm more spiritual than you because I can do this. And they're like, no, I'm more spiritual than you because I can do this, right? And I don't know if you've noticed, but the past couple of weeks when we've seen Paul lay out speaking in tongues as a spiritual gift, does anybody notice where he put it on the list of things? Last. He's doing it intentionally. Be like, hey, guys, the thing you're trying to take pride in, the thing you're boasting in, it goes all the way down here. He's telling them to get their priorities straight. So he lays down they need to love. Then he says this. Here we go. Verse chapter 4. If you have a Bible with you, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we've got a lot to work through. Here we go. It says, love, let love be the highest goal. We finished up on that on last week. He says, but... You should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will also be mysterious. So speaking in tongues, we see, is by the power of the Spirit, not something that someone's supposed to make up, not supposed something you're supposed to just kind of catch when you're standing around a group of people, and they're like, look, just try it. it. Just try to figure it out. No, no. Speaking in tongues is supposed to be something that the Holy Spirit does, right? It can be like a prayer language, or again, we work through all that, but let's move on. But more importantly, Paul says you should desire these special abilities, especially what? It's yellow, folks. You can follow me so far. It's in yellow. 
right, to prophesy. He says, hey, you should desire this gift. You're like, well, Brian, what does that mean? We don't know. Academia is torn on this issue. You can read all about it. Feel free to. I'm going to tell you my opinion on how this works. And here's the truth, okay? I'm going to be honest with you. The reason why churches and pastors and theologians have such a hard time trying to identify exactly what is prophesying and like what does that mean to a New Testament church is because once we determine what it is, we then have to be okay with everybody doing it. Because what we know from chapter 11, we see that both men and women are doing this as long as women have a head covering. You remember that chapter? It was super weird and awkward when we worked through it. And so a lot of times people are really afraid to define this in a pretty simplistic way because then it allows both men and women to be able to do whatever this is. And so truth be told, just being honest, the gender debate issue then brings its way into this issue. And you just have to know that going into all of this stuff. But thankfully, Paul tells us a little bit more about what this prophecy, what this looks like. In verse 3, he says, But the one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. So evidently, prophesying isn't just about predicting events that will happen in the future. Right, Old Testament prophets, when we think of them, we think, hey, they predicted what was going to come to pass. And while that is true, many of them um, foretold what was happening. They also foretold, saying, hey, guys, you got to get your stuff together. Here's a judgment from God. Here's what he's saying about this stuff. So you have foretold and you have foretold. So prophesying has never just been about guessing the like, lot, lucky not lottery numbers, right? That's not what it is. It is an advance of God saying, hey, this is going to happen. But prophecy is also to be able to speak truth into people's lives. And so to me, when I read this and I look at what prophecy is and, and for the New Testament, it's something about strengthening others, encouraging them, and comforting them. So it is, in my opinion, the ability to prophecy is what I'm doing like right now. The ability to preach, the ability to explain God's word in front of other people. And so if I'm, if I'm correct, and again, you can trudge through the stuff. It's super fun. You'll love it. Go back to verse one. He says this, but let love be your highest goal, but you should desire the special abilities the spirit gives, especially the ability to what? He's saying you should want the ability to stand up here and do this. When was the last time you prayed for that? Right. He's like, yeah. Hey, you know what? If you want to do something, if you want to get involved in church, he's like, seek the ability to preach. Like, go for it. We're like, yeah, but I've, I've never done that. I know, and we're just getting started in this chapter. I'm just letting you know. But he's like, you should desire to do that, to be involved in that. Verse 4. He says, a person, now he's going back to this speech, right? That's what you have to understand. He's dealing with speech issues in the church. He says, a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues. We're like, okay, Paul. He says, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is, for prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you were saying so the whole church will be strengthened. 
Okay, so he says, what I want you to do is speak in a way that other people are encouraged, built up, strengthened in their faith. Rather than wanting to speak in tongues or this unknown language that's just between perhaps you and the Lord, he wants you to desire something even greater where other people are built up. So he's not saying everybody's going to preach and he's not saying everybody's going to speak in tongues, but he is saying, hey, what are your motives for spiritual gifts? What are your motives for serving the Lord? Is it about what you get with God or is it about what you are doing with others? He says, seek in a way that you're strengthening, built up and comforting other people. Now he goes even to more detail. You ready? Here we go. We're going to go through six through 12 all in once. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring to you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp must play the notes clearly or no one will recognize the melody. And if a bugler doesn't sound a clear call, <coughs> how will the soldiers know they are being called into battle? It's the same for you. If you speak to pe people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you are saying? You might as well be talking to empty space. There are many different languages in the world and even languages and every language has meaning. But if I don't understand a language, I will be a foreigner to someone who speaks it. And the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true for you. Since you were so eager to have the special abilities the spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. All right. So evidently, right, you see his idea like there's instruments and people aren't understanding each other. It's like, hey, why would you want this? So evidently they're seeking, right, speaking in tongues. They're uh, seeking the special ability to be more spiritual. But Paul's saying it's not about you. It's about the whole church. Seek gifts that build up the whole body. And it's not that speaking in tongues is wrong. That's fine. And it's not that preaching's wrong. It, it's fine. He's saying you need to seek things. Let your motives be about other people, strengthening the church. Verse 13, he says, so anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I am saying. Well, then what shall I do? I will pray in the spirit and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit and I will also sing in words I understand. Next verse. He says, for if you praise God only in the spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join in you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you were saying? You will be giving thanks very well, but won't strengthen the people who hear you. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Next verse. But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Okay, so here's Paul points to truth that we need, that we already know and need to be reminded of. He said, listen, when you worship and when you gather together, when we come together, it's not just about you. In fact, it's not just about you and God. We gather together as a community about people because it's about us corporately, collectively, together worshiping God and being built up. And I don't know if you noticed, but I highlighted it every time it said it. Paul's concern is when we gather together, people must be able to understand 
What is going on? Rather than chaos, rather than people being thinking you're crazy and, and all that other stuff, he says, no, no, no. People should be built up. It needs to be understandable. Like that's a priority for Paul. We understand what's happening in worship. Now, an application behind this, this is why we use a modern translation of the Bible. How many of you grew up with King James Bibles? Yes, me too. And I remember reading it. I would read it from time to time, not every day. Either do you, don't lie. Okay, I'm a kid. Don't judge me. I would read it from time to time. And when I'd read it, I wouldn't understand it. I'm just, I didn't understand it. And the first time, I don't remember, I think it was an NIV. The first time I read the Bible in understandable languages, I thought I was sinning. I was like, I'm not supposed to understand this. That's what I thought. This is God's word. It's above me. I'm not supposed to understand the words. It kind of works like a, a potion, I thought, right? You just kind of repeat these words. You just say these words and something happens. You don't really know. Like I never actually understood it in regular language. So I thought I was doing something wrong. But the Bible was written for us to understand it, to learn from it. That's why we use versions like the NLT so you can understand, I can understand what God is trying to communicate to us. But the whole point of everything we do here as a church should be understandable so people can worship, so they can be built up, so they can be helped. Because think about it, God doesn't need preaching. We do. God doesn't need to be taught. We do. Right? People are the point. So everything we do has to be done in an understandable way. Let's keep going. Verse 20 through 25. He says, dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding matters of this kind. It is written in the scriptures, I will speak to my own people through strange language and through lips of foreigners. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. He says, so you see that speaking in tongues is a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Even so, if unbelievers are people who don't understand these things, come into your church meetings and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are, what's that word? Crazy. He says, but if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. And they, and they listen their secret thoughts, and as they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed, and they will fall on their knees and worship God, declaring, God is truly here among you. Hold on, am I done? Yes, we're, we're going to stop right there, among you. So there's a lot going on, but what we see is Paul says, listen, Speaking in tongues, he acknowledges this for unbelievers as this, this sign gift, but also if there's an interpreter, then it can build up the body. So we see both there and we just got to understand that. But what we learn about prophesying in this moment is that it not only strengthens and courage and comforts, but it also convicts of sin and judges people by what's being said. And that's super uncomfortable, right? But what I, what I love about this is Paul's saying something pretty important. He's saying some things that Christians hear will strengthen, bring courage, uh, comfort, and encourage them. But if you're not a believer, you can hear those same things and then feel convicted. And then have to work through what that means. 
So he doesn't say, listen, change the tone when outsider comes in. He's just saying, listen, believers are going to be strengthened by some things, and those some things that believers are going to be strengthened by are going to convict other people. Like, think about talking about hell. You talk about hell, some of you are like, man, that's offensive. That's just, we, we can't talk about that stuff. I'm like, thank God I'm not going. I'm just telling you, like, for me, I'm strengthened. Like, ooh, Jesus saved me from that. I am encouraged by it. If you're convicted by the thought of hell, right, think through that. Why? Like that, that's the point. Some things will bring comfort. Some things will bring conviction. And my point is simply this. When you get upset about things you hear in the Bible, which we all do, when you get upset about it, take some time to work through why you're getting upset. It very, very well may be that God wants to do a work in your life, that maybe your thinking's off track, there are things you got to deal with, and he's convicting you. He's trying to bring about change in your life. And instead of getting mad and upset and walking away, maybe you kind of work through that process and be open to God moving and leading and, and teaching you, right? Because some things are going to bring strength where other things are going to bring conviction, and we just have to work through that. So verse 26, he says this, well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize, okay? When you meet together, look, we don't do this. You just got to know this, okay? This is, this is just watch. He says, when you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell someone about a special revelation God has given, one will speak in tongues, and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must be strength, excuse me, must strengthen all of you. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if there's no one present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meetings and speak in tongues to God privately, right? So we see this private aspect of speaking in tongues as well. He said, let two or three people prophesy and let the others evaluate what is said. But if someone is prophesying and another person receives a special revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. Now that'd be an interesting service, wouldn't it? Let's keep going. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak, one after the other, so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember, the people who prophesy and control their spirit and can take turns, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. Okay, so what he's doing is he's giving instructions to bring uh, clarity and bring order into a chaotic worship environment. And again, doesn't take us too far to go through that paragraph to realize like, we don't do that. Like that's not how our stuff is set up anymore. And you would be correct. Things are different then. I don't have a lot of good reasons for it other than they met in homes, they were eating meals, worship was a little bit different back then. But at the end, Paul's point is that things need to be done in an orderly way. But I got two points I want to bring up from this section. Just bear with me. First, this type of communal experience, I think, should still take place. But I think that's what small groups and Sunday school classes are for. Where we, what we do here should just be a small part of your faith journey. You getting together with other believers, speaking truth into your lives, hearing what God is doing in your life, letting people speak a word from the Lord that they're kind of getting and work through like together. I think that's a great thing. I think that should still happen. Back then was a little bit differently. But second, I also think it's pretty important that it seems that it's just more than one person up here talking, doesn't it? Did you see that? 
There's different people doing it in the same day, nonetheless. And it's out of this idea that we do see, and I do believe, we got to hear from more people than just me. Right? I think it's unhealthy for the church just to have one speaker speaking all the time. I believe God has given the gifts to multiple people because that's what he says. And I think in that, more than one person should be able to talk and communicate and teach God's word. So we see a lot of different stuff going on here we can try to incorporate into our church, but we'll keep working on. This is one of those times I wish I could stop right now, call someone else up, and let them explain this next verse. You ready for it? Here we go. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It's like, Paul, listen, listen. If it wasn't complicated enough, now you got to go and do this? Scott, come on up. Now it's your turn, buddy. No, he's saying no. You didn't get a word from the Lord? I feel like you did. No? All right. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home. For it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. All right, let's pray and we can leave. (laughs) So, Here's the truth. I have had a ton of questions from people checking out our church and see that we have women deacons and women have roles and they're, they're super confused about what's going on here at First Baptist Church. And I get that because I've been there before. Here's what's going on. We are a very Bible-believing church. People pick that up, right? It takes, we, we, we've taken six months to go through one book of the Bible, like line by line. We love the Bible. But we also talk about sin and we talk about very unpopular things, like we're not afraid to deal with that. We're like, okay, good, got it. But then we have women in leadership, which seemingly goes against verses like this and women just sitting in the corner, being quiet, not playing a role in church. So the question is this, how can we teach the Bible? How can we deal with sinful things? How can we be very countercultural in some of the things we teach, but then also seemingly neglect the stuff about women? Like, why do we allow women to do stuff? Those are great questions. And we're going to talk about them next week. (laughs) Come back out. We're going to talk about it. Okay? We're going to deal with that next week because, because this is such a big deal. We're going to take a whole Sunday to deal with it. Okay? So come to church next week, get your pen and paper out. Alan will be preaching, hopefully. Okay? We're moving on. <laughs> but I do want to point out a couple things for you to chew on as you think through this because what we believe is a little different than most Baptist churches. We're right. It's okay. Just come back next week. I'll tell you why. But let me show you some things to chew on about this first, because we can get very explosive on Paul and not give him the benefit of listening, we can assume. Look at what he says in verse 28. He says, but if no one is present who can interpret, what does he say? Silent. All right, so he tells someone to be quiet there. Look at the next verse, verse 30. He says, but if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. Same idea, same words. They must be quiet. Then we get into verse 34, says women should be silent during church meetings. My point is I want you to see something's going on here. He's not just telling women to be quiet. He's telling men and women to be quiet, people to have proper order. So it's not all we do is if you've ever read this, all you've seen is, wow, he's just talking to women. No, he's told a whole bunch of people to hush. It's Paul. He's an equal opportunity offender. He does it to everybody. Okay, so just know that. Secondly, I want to point this point out. All right. As you're working through this, husbands, if you're here, if you're husbands, raise your hand. Liars. Come on, let's go. Y'all raise your hand. Let's look. Next. 
Look what he says. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It's not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask who? Their husbands. I love it. We neglect that part. I want to talk about that for two seconds. Listen, while I don't understand everything going on here, what Paul does say is, husbands, you need to be able to handle the Bible, and you got to bring clarity to the mess I do up here on Sunday mornings. Okay? So if I don't do a good job at teaching, you got to fix it. You're welcome. But husbands, seriously, you should be leading and you should have something in a way of where you should know what's going on spiritually and with Christianity. You should be in a place to where you can answer questions. We'll talk about why next week. Don't worry about that. But I'm just saying we neglect. We get so caught up with here that we neglect here because I do know what that says. Husbands, you should, you should know about the Bible. You should take it serious. You should be able to help your family work through things. Now, verse 36, let's keep going. He says, or do you think God's word originated with you, Corinthians? It's kind of rough, Paul. He says, are you the only ones whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or you think you are spiritual, you should recognize what I am saying, a command from the Lord himself. But if you do not recognize this, you yourself will not be recognized. Okay, where am I at? Oh, verse 39. Oh, there it is. I'm sorry, I didn't see it. So my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues, but be sure that everything is done properly and in order. So Paul's saying, if you claim to understand the spiritual things, if you claim to know what's going on and you want to be spiritual and you want to speak in tongues, then you need to understand and recognize what Paul's laying out here about bringing order to the services. He said, if you have these gifts and you're hearing from the Lord, you need to recognize it needs to be done in an orderly way. And while I don't understand everything Paul says in this section, here's what I want to point out because it's pretty important. Oh, go back. Go back to the last slide. We'll keep, all right, we'll keep going. But in verse 39, he says, don't forbid did y'all see that? Don't forbid speaking in tongues. And so for me, I get very cautious and, get, and, and I get like really caught up when people are like, hey, tongues don't exist. You can't do tongues. You've heard that before. Y'all heard that in church, about church stuff? But I'm like, yeah, but Paul says, don't forbid it. So what does that mean? That means we've got to be careful before we start making judgment on what other people do. And we need to be cautious. We know what God's word does say and what it doesn't say. And so for me, I'm like, hey, I don't really know how it all works. I'm not going to forbid it. And we'll just keep going. So his whole point right at the end is everything must be done, in prop, done properly and in order. He's not commanding us to have a bore, boring or stale worship environment. He's just saying you got to have some order because you're building up people. You're there to worship God. Now, we say all of that to say, here's my thought-provoking question, and we're going to be done for the day. How open are you to the work of the Holy Spirit? How open are you to the work of the Holy Spirit? Paul told us from the very beginning, his whole point is this, desire the spiritual things from the Lord. When was the last time you desired spiritual abilities from the Lord? When was the last time, hopefully today, you worshiped in spirit and truth? When was the last time you worshiped in a way where you stopped worrying about people all around you and you just simply let the spirit move with inside of you? 
What, what does that look like for you? What does it look like for the spirit to move in your midst? What does it look like to God to use you to do his work? We should be open to the spiritual things of God. And again, I don't have it all figured out, but I think it's one of those things we could continue praying through and asking God for help and saying, Lord, I'm open. I'm open. Use me in the way that you see fit, but I'm open to hearing from you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for choosing, choosing to use us for your purposes in this world. Father, I pray that you open our eyes and our hearts to the movement of your spirit. Help us be sensitive to the things you are doing in this world. Help us use our gifts for your glory and help us use our gifts to help other people grow in their faith and take their next step of faith. Father, we admit we don't understand everything and we don't know how your spirit works and we just are okay with that. But we do ask you to open our eyes. Help us be sensitive to your leading and help us be sensitive to the things you're doing so we can be on board with you. Precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.